It has been said that every person has a book within them, the story of their life, the events that shaped them, the passions that moved them, the people that influenced them, the moments that impacted them, even the faith that transformed them. And through these stories flows joy and sorrows, disappointments and delights, countless twists and turns, all interwoven to create a never-before-told, one-of-a-kind story. The story of you. It's a story still being written by you and by God, day after day, line after line, storylines, write good things. So what are you thinking about right now? Are you thinking about your utility bills and how they're going to be going up this winter? Or maybe you're thinking about the bacon that you had for breakfast and thinking maybe you shouldn't have. Or maybe you're wondering if you left the iron on back at home. You're probably not thinking about any of those things, are you? What are you thinking about? You're thinking about this typewriter and what he's doing on the typewriter and why did he just rip that up and throw it on the ground? That's what you're thinking about right now. Fair enough? True enough? But have you ever thought about this? I didn't actually make you think those thoughts, did I? I kind of invited you to by, you know, everything's focused up this way, the seats are all faced this way, and and I'm doing this thing. And, And like you're invited into that conversation of wondering what I'm doing and wondering what I'm typing up, but I'm not actually saying anything. But I'm not making you. The truth is that you are choosing to think that yourselves. I'm suggesting it. I'm encouraging you to. I admit that. But you could have been thinking about your bacon. You could have been thinking about your utility bills. You could have been thinking about the fact that you're so grateful that the Lions have an off week so they don't lose this week. You could have been thinking about any of those things, and yet you chose to think about this typewriter. Well, I use the typewriter. We've been using this typewriter throughout this whole series because it just serves as a prop. For this idea of the story of you. But a typewriter, I believe, is like a great illustration of what's actually going on inside of us. Because inside each of us, we're writing a story and we're living it out. But inside each of us also is like this typewriter that's constantly going. Click, 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 click. And it's the thoughts that define our lives. And so our story is actually totally dependent upon the idea of our thoughts. A good story is a story that has good thoughts. A bad story is a story that has bad thoughts or poorly developed thoughts. But our stories are dependent on our thoughts. If you want to make your story better, well, then you need to have better thoughts. If you want to make it worse, and I don't know why you would, but you can just have worse thoughts. But we want to talk this morning about... How do we make our stories better by having better thoughts? 
Well, remember, the story of you is not a chronological listing of all the events of your life. The story of you is the combination of the factors, the elements, the different pieces in experience of your life that are all compiled together to make you you. And your story pulls from the past, but your story is actually what you are living out in the moment. The story is who you are right now this morning, but it's also who you are becoming. And so as we've been exploring these ideas of what your story is, we want to define it so that you can understand it. And if you can understand your story better, then you have the opportunity, the possibility, and hopefully even in the determination and the desire to write a better story. But it all starts with awareness. To just understand what our story is and to understand all the components that make up our, your story. Part of your story is who God created you to be. And the different gifts that he's given you, the different leanings that he's given you, the different personality that each of us has, that's part of our story. Part of our story unfortunately, is, is uh, the past sometimes, because sometimes the past is negative and we've experienced these different things that have created trauma. Sometimes the past is positive, though, too. And sometimes we can look back at our past and say, oh, that's for me in, in good ways. It's also talked about the idea that we still are sinners, even though Christ redeems us, but we're still sinners. And sometimes the sin in our story and in those tendencies, that still defines our story, too, and we try to overcome it. God wants to help us overcome it, but that's part of our stories. Last week, we talked about our souls, but exact, uh, specifically how God is a part of our story, too. And even from the inside, God is a part of our story. And so we take all of these things, and we piece them together, and that forms our story. But we take all of those things, and we process them through our minds. And so our minds, our thinking becomes an outsized uh, piece of the puzzle. Because we take all of these things, our experiences, and, and, and what God's doing in our lives, in the, in the way that we're created, and we process them. We synthesize them with our minds. Sometimes we do that very consciously. And sometimes we do that less consciously. For example, so if you went to school and you were really good with math and you really enjoyed uh, that type of stuff... You might choose a career as, a, as an engineer. That's a very conscious decision. I like this. This is something that appeals to me. And so my thoughts lead me in this direction. That's a very conscious choice. On the flip side of that, though, sometimes we make decisions in life based on something that's way less conscious. If you grew up in a, a family where, where you were, were continually pushed down, where, where maybe you were ridiculed, maybe you were ignored, maybe you were told you're never going to amount to anything, well, when a big opportunity comes, you step back and don't step into it. And you're like, well, I don't think I could do that. I think that's too big for me. I think I might fail here. Well, that's your thinking too. And it's influenced by those things in your past, but you're processing that on a subconscious level. But either way, the way that we respond to life is based on our stories and how we process them mentally. And it all combines to form who we are. And so as we get awareness of this and how our stories are affected by our thinking, the obvious question is, well, how do I think better thoughts? Because all of us would like to live a better story. Well, Paul answers this question in the book of Philippians. I want to 
ask you to turn with me there to Philippians chapter 4. This is a familiar passage. Actually, Paul speaks quite a bit about the idea of our thinking, of our minds, throughout his writings. But this is, like I think, one of the um, great passages of Scripture, especially practically speaking. But Paul's writing this book to the Philippians. He's addressed some problems in the church, and he gets to chapter 4, and he's kind of wrapping things up. In the beginning of chapter 4, verse number 2, he, he reaches out to two women in the church and says, Hey, you guys have not been getting along. This is not healthy. This is not good. You guys need to learn to get along. And then he moves on here into chapter 4, or into verse number 4, and says, Okay, let's just stop. We're not just going to talk about these two women here. I'm going to talk to all of you. And let me give you some final instructions of here's how you can live and actually live a better story since we're in that theme. And so this is what he has to say in verse number four of Philippians chapter four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I love that verse because it's like Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, you're thinking, nope, I can't do that. Okay, rejoice in the Lord. He repeats it because he knows how hard it's going to be, how difficult it's going to be. You ever been in that situation where life is coming at you and it's not good and you're really struggling and having a hard time? That's not what you feel like doing, rejoicing. Okay, I think I'll have a little joy today. No, that's not where we are, but, but, but this is what Paul says. Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And you know what? You can do this. Rejoice. Then he goes on in verse number five. He says, hey, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Well, rejoicing is hard, so is it being gentle. It's real easy to, to be reactive. It's real easy to be harsh. It's real easy to be, to be um, rude. It's real easy to be abrupt. It's real easy to be all those things. It's real hard to be gentle. In fact, we live in a world where gentleness is seen as weakness. Sometimes we live in, in, in businesses, places of work. Sometimes it's the schools. Sometimes it's our churches. But gentleness is not considered a virtue today. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You need to be gentle. And that's the instruction that he gives. He goes on to verse number six. And then he says, hey, do not be anxious about anything. Well, if you think it's hard to always rejoice, and if you think it's hard to be gentle, it's really hard not to be anxious and worried sometimes, isn't it? And I love about this verse, he says, okay, not only am I going to tell you don't be worried, I'm going to tell you how not to do it. So don't be anxious. Instead, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So here's, here's a strategy for you. Not to, be, not to be anxious or worried. You can take your prayer request to God. And then he actually says, here's the process, or here's the, uh, the reward for that. The reward is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so he gives us these three hard commands. Rejoice always. Be gentle. Don't worry. And then he gets to the next one, which is, I think, maybe the hardest of them all. In verse number 8, one more instruction, one more command, he says here, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so he gives us another command or instruction here. He says, I want you to think about... And he gives a list of eight different descriptions of things that we should think about. And he goes on to verse number nine. So whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And that's an interesting statement. Paul's basically saying, I'm telling you to rejoice, but you've seen that in me, right? 
I'm telling you to be gentle, but you've observed gentleness in me. I'm telling you not to be anxious and worried, and you've seen how I've handled tense and stressful situations. You, I'm telling you to think about certain things, but you've seen, maybe not as thoughts, but you've seen the, the, um, the fruit of those thoughts and how they play out in his life. In his life. But in this verse right here, especially verse number 8, we get the instructions of how to think better thoughts. And in the process, we find out how we can live a better life. So let's look at this. Four simple things this morning on thinking better thoughts. The first one is this. You can and you must choose your thoughts. You can and you must choose your thoughts. Now, this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not like, hey, if it works for you, go ahead and give this one a try. This is like you are to think on these things. There's a specific command there, but with every command that God gives us, God gives us the ability to follow it, to keep it, to obey it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be just, would it? If God asked you to do something that you had no ability to do, what kind of God would that be? But anytime God gives us a command in Scripture, there should come with it that encouragement that, hey, I'm telling you to do this because you can. So you actually can choose your thoughts. But you also, when God gives us a command, it gets even better. Not as there is just there an ability to, to do that, but God says, when I give commands, they're not arbitrary. There always be for your benefit. And so when God, through Paul, says, hey, you need to choose your thoughts, you can and you need to because it's going to be beneficial. It's going to be helpful to you. And any time we see a command in Scripture, God has your best interest in mind. And so he goes on in this verse and he gives some what's of here's the things that you should be thinking about. But before we get there, I want to pause for a moment and talk about the whys of why we should think that way. So the command comes and says, you need to think on right things, true things, just things, those things. But here's why we need to do that. We need to do that because our thinking determines our actions. You ever said this to somebody, why did you do that? Sometimes we say it this way, especially to our kids. What were you thinking because what we think determines what we do. In fact, pretty much every choice we make is based somewhere on our thinking. Now, sometimes we just kind of put it into to autopilot and, and we just go with things. But whatever you had for breakfast this morning, you made a thoughtful choice about that. Or maybe you just did what you've done a thousand times before and it's not so thoughtful. But somewhere you can trace that back and say, I am having this because it will lead to this. The way that you drove to church, what you chose to wear, where you chose to sit, who you chose to talk to, how you chose to talk to them. All of those things are determined by your thoughts. And so our thoughts lead to action, or we could say it this way, our beliefs lead to behavior. Our beliefs are just simply thoughts that we think are true. They're not necessarily true. They're not necessarily false. Beliefs and truth are not the same thing, and sometimes, especially in our Christian world, we combine the two and say, well, this is my belief, and that's just assume that it's true. It's not. It might be. It might not be. But beliefs are just what I think it would be true, and so if I do this, I think this will happen. And so my thoughts determine that action because I think this will be the result of that. 
Sometimes we hear people say things like, well, I have my own truth. No, you don't have your own truth. You have your own beliefs. Because truth exists outside of us. Truth is found in God. Truth is found in God's word. But anyhow, if you want to change your behavior, you need to start with your beliefs. There's a whole line of, uh, of uh, counseling today where it's called a con- cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe you're familiar with that. And the basic idea is this, is if you want to change your life, you've got to change your thinking. This is not even coming from Scripture. This is coming from just the world out there in general. But they've picked up on this idea that's right here in Scripture to say, hey, our thoughts determine our behavior. Not only do our thoughts determine our behavior, our thoughts also determine our words. Words are simply the verbalization of our thoughts. And it's pretty impossible to separate the two. It's hard for us to say something that doesn't have thoughts behind it. In fact, I'm not sure I ever have. But we speak from what's going on in our minds. Now, sometimes we try to play the cover-up game. So we're thinking one thing and we're like, okay, I'm going to say something different. But it's that thought process that leads me even to say something different. But oftentimes, and in, in most often in our lives, we say something and there's like, oh, shouldn't have said that. You ever had that argument, your, your husband and your wife, and something came out of your mouth, and the second it escapes your mouth, you're like, oops, that was not a good idea to say that. Well, it came from our thoughts. We just expressed what was going on in our minds. And so it's important to us to control our thinking because it plays out in our words. Thirdly, our thinking impacts our emotions. And this is huge. Generally speaking, not, this is not comprehensive, but generally speaking, our moods are impacted and affected by our thinking. You ever had, like, find yourself down in the dumps sometimes, and it's like, okay, why do I feel this way? Well, if you really stop and process it, you feel this way because this happened somewhere in the past or somewhere recently, and I'm thinking about what happened, and that thinking is taking me down this path, then it's affecting me here emotionally. Now, I realize there are other factors that come into our emotions, too. This is not the only one, but our thinking generally influences our moods. This is why, by the way, I believe, we often use the terms mental health and emotional health. Have you ever noticed we use them pretty much interchangeably? Because they're very, very much connected. And so if you're struggling with your moods, if you're struggling with your emotions... One of the ways we address that is going back to our thinking. Again, that cognitive behavioral therapy, we use that when we're talking about things like depression, anxiety as well. And it all comes from this concept. It's interesting in this passage, if you notice in verse number 7 and verse number 9, on either side of this verse about thinking, it talks about peace. talks about peace. God's concerned about your emotions too. And so as we deal with our thinking, that's going to affect our emotions. Our thinking also affects our attitudes. If you have a bad attitude, why? It's not what happened to you. It's how you think about what happened to you. You know, there's the, the story there of two shoe salesmen who get abandoned on a, a uh, deserted aisle. Well, I guess not deserted aisle, but like a... An aisle, and, and there's just natives there, and none of the natives wear shoes. 
And they, they are able to radio back for help. And, and the one guy says, come get me. None of these people wear shoes. I could never sell a shoe here. And the other guy says, don't come get me. Just send all the shoes you got. Everybody needs shoes. The same thing happens to two people. It's the thinking that determines the attitude, which leads us to the next thing. It's our outlook. It's similar to attitude, but it's just how you approach life. And our thinking determines how we see life, how we approach life, the decisions that we make, even how we go about living our daily lives. Whether it's religion or politics or life or relationships, we have like almost, we would call it like a default mode, but that's not entirely true. It's not really a default mode. It's just the thinking mode that we have thought so many times that it determines our outlook and our view in life. And you meet some people who are just like, yeah, life is great. Well, that's their thinking. Other people are like, life is horrible. It's not what's going on in their lives. It's what's going on in their heads. And so it determines our outlook. It also, and this is where it gets really serious, it determines our character. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, as a man thinketh, so is he. Our thoughts don't just determine all of these other things. Our thoughts actually determine who we are. And we will never in our character rise above our thoughts. So if we struggle with honesty, we have a thought problem. Maybe among other things. If we, if we str- struggle with negativity, we have a thought problem. If we struggle with irresponsibility, we have a thought problem. And there could be other factors involved, but our thoughts eventually determine our character. And then, why do we need to think good thoughts? Because ultimately, our thoughts determine our story. Our thoughts determine our story. But this is what I think is exciting. If I go back and we talked about one of the things that influenced our story is, is how God created us and how God, you know, wired us up and how God made us. Some of that I can develop, but there's parts of me that I'll never change. That's just who I am. And then there's those experiences that we have in life. Those are done. Good or bad, I can't change those. And then we look at things like, you know, the sin nature. Well, the Holy Spirit helps us. But it's still part of me. But when we get to this thing of thoughts, it's like, oh, here's a part of my story that has some flexibility, that has some malleability. I can, I can change my thoughts, and in the process of changing my thoughts, I can actually change my stories. And so one of the most important principles of life, that you are what you think, helps us change our stories. I like what one guy said. He said it this way. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So first of all, you can and you must choose your thoughts. Secondly, you need to challenge then what you hear. Because we generally think about what we just heard about. And so this morning, you're thinking about what you're hearing about. And if I talk about bacon, then you can, talk about, you can think about bacon because you just heard about bacon. If we talk about utility bills or whatever, you can think about what you hear about. And we generally think about what we hear about, but that comes from two different sources. It comes from an external source. We hear things all the time. You're hearing me right now. You may have had the radio on. When you came this morning, you heard that. Maybe you, you flipped on uh, the internet and you were reading the news from last night or the sports from last night. But you're hearing those things. And I use the word hear there in quotation marks. 
Because it's not just audible. It's all the information and all of the messaging that you get. And we hear that from the obvious things, but sometimes we just hear that from what a, a, a coworker says to us or what a mate says to us or what a parent says to us. And some, some, some of you may be even like dealing with the messaging that you heard when you were a kid that still rings in your mind because you hear those things. And so we need to challenge what we hear And we'll look at how we challenge that in just a minute. Not just externally, though, but we also need to challenge what we hear internally. Because what we have in our heads is we have that constant chatter of the typewriter going in the background. And those are the words and those are the thoughts that often influence us. You ever heard this phrase, and it gets used, I think it's a little bit more contemporary, but the story I'm telling myself is? But what we do is we take whatever's going on in life, and we interpret it, and then we tell ourselves how to approach it. And those words become our thoughts. Okay, here's, here's a, for instance, okay? If the boss says, hey, I need to meet with you tomorrow morning. What is the story you tell yourself? Oh, good, I'm getting a raise. Or is it, what did I do this time? Or like, maybe it's just neutral. Oh, I wonder what he wants. Okay, that's all of the things that we tell ourselves that determine our response. You know, the husband says to you, so where'd you get that dress? Does that mean, oh, some people is like, oh, you must like it. Other people's like, oops, I probably should have gotten this one. But that's all determined by what you are telling yourself. It's not determined by what he's saying to you. And so we have these words that we're constantly saying to ourselves, that chatter in the background, and that becomes our thoughts. And so we need to challenge, actually, what we hear. So, how do we do that? Well, that's what this verse is about. And I think what is interesting in this verse is that Paul uses this word, I think, six different times. He says, hey, whatever, 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 whatever. What is the point of saying whatever? Is that you have the ability then to sort through what is going to be helpful to you and what's not going to be helpful to you. What's going to be beneficial? What's not going to be beneficial? What's going to be virtuous? What's not going to be virtuous? You can say, hey, whatever, you get to pick that. So how do you do that? You need some type of tool or some types of filter, and that's what he provides here, which leads us to the third point. You have to chew on good thoughts. Now, he gives a list of eight different things here that you can think, but they're descriptive. They're not actually thoughts. You can't sit there and just think, okay, I'm going to think true, 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 true. Okay, what's next? Okay, I got true down. Noble, 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 noble. Okay, it's just describing the types of thoughts that you should think about. And we're not going to take time to walk through this list and work through this list. But you can see from this list, we should be choosing thoughts that are true. We should be choosing thoughts that are right. We should be choosing thoughts that are pure, that that are lovely, admirable, all of these different things. Because if we think about these types of things, it's going to affect our actions, our words, our attitudes, our outlook, our stories. And so he gives us this grid here. Now you look at this list and then compare it to some of the things that we think about. 
I think about, okay, how that person just said something to me that was really rude and how I'm kind of ticked off by that or offended by that or my feelings are hurt. Okay, is that really beneficial? Is it virtuous? Is it helpful? Or I, you know, think about things like, okay, this situation just came up and so all the thoughts in my head are like, well, this is never going to work out. I knew we were going to have a problem here. This was just going to be a, a dud. I tried. It didn't, okay. And we go in that direction. Okay, are those thoughts even true to start with? But are they noble? Are they helpful? Are they beneficial? Do they make things better for you? Are they worth being considered? Or maybe my thoughts are impure and offensive. Maybe my thoughts are self-indulgent. Maybe my thoughts are scheming. But the idea here, though, this is pretty cool, I think, is I can't think about two thoughts at the same time. So anytime that I think a positive or a virtuous thought, I automatically make it impossible for me to think this other thought. You can't do it. You can't have two thoughts simultaneously. Now, we can go back and forth really, really fast, I admit. But the idea here is that we are choosing good thoughts so that we don't have to go where the bad thoughts are. And if we'll do that, that will take us in the direction that we want to go in our lives and in our stories. I think this is interesting, too, though, to add to this. That word there that says, think on these things, this is a Greek word, actually, that's logizomai. Well, let me just take the first part of that, logia. This is the same word that we use for logic, the same root word that we use for logic. So what Paul is saying here is not just like, you know, give it some headspace. He's saying, hey, reason this out. Lock into this, process this, be engaged mentally, or I'm picking the word here, chew on this. So we need to get things that are right and good and virtuous, and we need to not just like, okay, that's my thought, but we need to step into it and say, no, I'm going to stay here in this thought. Now, to help you understand this and to help me understand this, I would almost look at the opposite. Anybody brood? Like you get something in your head and it's negative and you just can't let go of it. I had something where I, I back about, I don't know, six, eight, ten months ago, where I had to purchase something and, and I bought it and the person who sold it to me lied about it and it was a bad purchase and it cost me a ton of money and I was stuck with it and there was nothing I could do. Well, guess what? It was over. Transaction was finished and there was no recourse. That didn't stop me from thinking about it for two weeks. Just over and over and over. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have asked this question. I should have seen through this. Okay? That was me not choosing. Well, it was actually me choosing my thoughts. It was me choosing thoughts that I need to think. And I brooded on it. And Paul's point here is, and what he, the words that he uses is, choose this thing and just lock in on this thought. And just, I don't know the words brood, but that's what you need to do with that idea. Now, let me just give you a real practical idea here of something that might be helpful to you. If you're looking at your life and saying, I really struggle with thinking in this area. Take that thought and then compare it to what would be the contrasting thought of, of true or noble or pure or, or excellent or admirable. And actually identify what the opposite thought would be. 
the contrasting thought, and then actually write it out. And then take some time to just sit there and read that and say, okay, I'm going to think this thought, and I'm going to stay here. So maybe my thought that's negative is like just self-pity. Everything's going wrong, and you know, life's no good, and everybody's out to get me. Well, a, a true thought would be this, that God loves me. That God loves me unconditionally. That God loves me sacrificially. And I write that down. And instead of beating myself up and saying, oh, I'm just worthless, I say, you know what? I am loved by God. He cares about me. And I focus on that thought, and I just lean into it. And I just live there. Or if you want, you can use the word that the New American Standard Version translates it, or the Christian Standard translates Dwell on these things. But a really practical thing is to simply say, not only am I choosing my thoughts, but because I have a hard time staying mentally tuned in, to actually write that out, to identify them, so that I can take myself to that, and so I can dwell on those thoughts. The idea is if we can choose the positive, we'll choke out the negative. So what are you thinking? Because it leads to that last point. What you think determines who you are. So that means you can change the plot line of your story. We've done this series so that you, we can understand who we are, where we are, how we got there. But we're doing this series so that we can choose something better. And the key to changing, one of the keys to change your life is by changing your thinking. And there are other things that are part of that process. The Holy Spirit obviously has to be a part of that process. But you can change the plot line of your story by simply changing your thinking. So what do we do with all this? Most of us are so familiar with our thoughts in the back, going on in the background that we never even challenge it. Like, oh, it's just there. And we just do stuff, and we haven't really... Like somebody says, well, why did you do that? What were you thinking? I don't know. Well, step one is to step back and say, okay, what is actually going on in this mind of mine? To become more aware of those thoughts. But then when we become aware of those thoughts, to say, you know what? I don't necessarily have to think some of these thoughts. Because they're not true. They're not noble. They're not pure. They're not excellent. I instead can choose to think these thoughts that have virtue, that have benefit, that are helpful. So what are your thoughts? You must choose. It's not actually that you must choose your thoughts. You do choose your thoughts. You just need to choose good thoughts. You must choose good thoughts. You need to challenge those voices those things that you hear, you need to chew on those right thoughts so that you can ultimately change. Our series tagline is write good things. You want to write good things in your story? Think good thoughts. Let's pray. God, thank you for just the wisdom of your word. I love how it just connects right where we are and cuts right to the issue. And we struggle so much with this idea of thinking. 
Our minds are not disciplined. The enemy comes and he throws a temptation or thought and we just run after that. God, please deliver us. My prayer request this morning, first of all, God, would be that you would make us aware of the thoughts that are going on in our heads, but that you encourage us that through your Holy Spirit we can change, but it starts with changing our thoughts. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. What are the thoughts that are going on in your head right now that you need to challenge and that you need to change? What are the thoughts that you need to choose on? Will you identify something right now as you sit where you are? This is my commitment. This is what I will do with this. And then there's another question this morning, too. It's this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? We haven't talked a lot about this this morning. But Jesus is the one who wants to change you. So many times in life we feel like I have to change by doing better, trying harder, and I just get frustrated by that. And Jesus says, no, I'll come into your story, and I will help you change. And you can invite him into your story when you acknowledge that he is the Son of God who came lived on this earth as a man, died on the cross for our sins, and then rose again so that we could have forgiveness. And you can ask him for that forgiveness and invite him into your story right where you sit. That's the first step in changing your mind. God, we commit ourselves to you. We ask for your grace and for your help. We praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.